because he himself was tested by what he suffered, he is able to help those who are being tested. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This week, I hope you received an email with a little travel journal of my sabbatical trips. If you didn't, it's sitting in your email and waiting for you to read when you come home. And I had just a, an unbelievable summer being able to travel and do all kinds of things I don't normally get to do. Um, one of the spiritual highlights of my summer, and it's one I, I mentioned already, I think, and it was in my travel log if you got it, um, and that was three weeks ago I had the privilege of going to Montreat, North Carolina and taking a class there. Uh, Montreat is a town, it's a Presbyterian college, and it's a Presbyterian camp and conference center. And it has great significance for me because when I was in high school, um, I went the summer of 1995, after my freshman year, if you want to figure out how old I am, uh, I went to Montreat with my church youth group. And that was really the first place where I came to know Christ personally. Uh, and and Montreat remained really important for me. Every year that I was in high school, I would return on another one of those youth conferences. And these youth conferences are like hundreds and hundreds of high school kids from their churches all coming together to worship. Uh, and so I, would, I went back every year in high school, and it was kind of like the, the spiritual highlight of my year every year. Uh, and then when I got to college, and actually when I went on to seminary, the next seven years of school, I went back to Montreat as a leader and I got to take students so they could have an experience similar that I had when I was there. Also, when I was an undergraduate, um, all of the campus ministries in North Carolina, the Presbyterian campus ministries at all the different colleges got together in the fall for a kickoff. And where did we go? We went to Montreat. So I went to Montreat four years in a row uh, in the fall. Every year I was in college as well. It has huge significance for me, okay? So I was really excited to be back there, and um, as I was um, kind of going over all the things I knew I wanted to do, one particular thing I was anticipating was climbing Lookout Mountain. Uh, so Lookout Mountain is um, a mountain right in the town of Montreat. It's, it's, it's not that big of a hike, but it's a decent little jaunt, and the view is incredible. So while I was there, I took some pictures and I want to share some of those with you. The first one is like a panorama, so you can see um, what the view is like from the top of Lookout. Um, and you get a sense it's just gorgeous, right? I mean, just beautiful mountains all around. God's creation is overwhelming. Um, uh, and then just in the background, yeah, there you go, perfect. Um, you can see from Lookout looking down uh, that just in the distance, that's Montreat College and Conference Centers. You, can you zoom in? There you go. So that's where I was staying, right? Um, and so I'm, I'm standing on this mountain looking down on this space that's been so important for me. And you can go back one, actually. Yeah, perfect. Just leave it there for a second. Uh, and as I'm standing on the mountain, uh, I, I said, hey, I, it would be really cool, um, God, if there was like a psalm or something about mountains that I could pray. And so I'm sitting there thinking, you know, what are the psalms about mountains? And uh, I thought about 121, um, but that wasn't where God led me. He led me to Psalm 133. And Psalm 133, you know, because we said it as our call to worship this morning. Um, and uh, be because it has Mount Hermon and the mountains of Zion, it came to my mind. But it begins, how good and pleasant it is when kindred live together in unity. How good and pleasant it is when kindred live together in unity. It is like precious oil upon the head, the anointing oil that makes you a priest running down over the beard, over the beard of Aaron, 
over the collar of his robes. It's like the dew on Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon's the highest mountain in Zion, right? And so it's always got precipitation on it. Mount Zion is a a mountain to the south of that, which is often more dry. So when the dew of Mount Hermon comes to Mount Zion, it's a a refreshing sort of thing, right? It's like the dew of Mount Hermon that falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord ordained His blessing life forevermore. So I'm standing on this mountain. I'm looking down on Montreat. Uh, and, and, and God brings this psalm to my head, and, and I began to realize um, that even though Montreat is the place where I came to know Christ personally, um, what made Montreat special wasn't that it was a me and Jesus place. What made Montreat special were all the people I went to Montreat with, right? It was my youth leaders who drug me there. It was Sheila Fife and Amy and Randy Fansler and John Lorraine Perkins who took me year after year to Montreat. It was all of my friends in my youth group um, with whom we shared um, the good stuff in our lives and the bad stuff in our lives and asked God to intervene. It was all those students I had the privilege of taking later uh, as I got older. After. Um, it, it was the people that made Montreat sacred for me. How very good and pleasant it is when kindred dwell together in unity. Uh, as I was on that mountain, God kind of opened my eyes to um, what I might call an American Christian myth. Uh, and the American Christian myth is that my faith is primarily about me and Jesus, just about me and Jesus. Now, uh, I would probably describe myself as an evangelical, and I'm all about a personal relationship with Jesus. I think that's really, really important. Um, but I'm also a Presbyterian, and we really like this idea of covenant. In fact, we like it so much we put it in our name, right? Uh, and, and covenant is an idea that shows up a lot in the Bible. In fact, even though I believe in a personal relationship with Jesus, th- that language doesn't show up in Scripture. The word covenant shows up more than 350 times in the Bible. And um, the covenant idea is really, really important. So, so go with me to Deuteronomy chapter 5 as Moses is reminding the people about the covenant God made with them uh, at Mount Sinai. And, and I want you to notice two really interesting things that Moses says. Um, so the, the Ten Commandments are like the vows of a marriage, okay? We talk about marriage as a covenant, and the vows are the promise that make you married. The Ten Commandments are like the vows, right, that they make. But before he reminds them of their vows, Moses says, not with our ancestors, did the Lord make this covenant, but with us, who are all of us here alive today. The Lord spoke with you face to face at the mountain out of the fire. Uh, And then at the very end of our reading, verse 22, these words the Lord spoke with a loud voice to your whole assembly at the mountain, out of the fire, the cloud, and the thick darkness, and He added no more. Um, Here's what I notice. God comes and He speaks the Ten Commandments, and He doesn't call people up individually to hear them. He doesn't say, okay, Bev, come on up, let's talk about the Ten Commandments. Great, you're done. Sue, come on up. Great, you're done. Dave, come on up. Great, you're done. Sarah, no, it's everybody all at once. God doesn't make a covenant with Jim Gates or Krista Gates or um, Bev Warner. God makes a covenant with Israel, right, with the whole assembly all at once. Are we together? Clearly, that's what's happening. Um, Okay, skip ahead a little bit. We're going to look at this passage in Hebrews this morning. 
Uh, and in Hebrews, um, we, we get this beautiful language of all that Christ has done for us. Um, but throughout this little section we read, we also hear about um, what God has done to us through Christ. Um, and bringing many children to glory, that's interesting. Those who are sanctified all have one Father. For this reason, Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters, saying, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. Here am I and the children God has given me. Since the children share flesh and blood, um, it is clear He did not come to help angels, but brothers and sisters who became like Him in every respect. So, um, Hebrews tells us, hey, God makes a covenant with all Israel, right? That's the covenant that defines the Old Testament. And, the, and then, I'm sorry, uh, Deuteronomy tells us that. Hebrew tells us that God makes a family, right? It's a new family with God the Father as our head and Jesus as our brother, and that we're all in this family together. Uh, imagine for a minute, if you would, if you went to a family reunion, okay? Um, anybody go to a family reunion this summer? Okay, some of us did. All right, so just imagine you're at a family reunion and um, there's one family member that you really, really like. Like, you cannot wait to talk to this family member. Let's call him Uncle Bob, okay? Uncle Bob is just fantastic. Everybody wants to talk to Uncle Bob. But the rest of the family, eh, I mean, you know, kind of, you know, you don't have to spend time with them. So at your family reunion, what happens is everybody lines up to talk to Uncle Bob. Nobody talks to each other, right? You don't talk to your cousins. You don't talk to your siblings. You don't talk to your parents. You're just all in line. You get your 10 minutes with Uncle Bob, and you're out of there. Um, is that a normal family? No, that would be dysfunctional, right? That would be a problem. Um, but we sometimes think about our faith this way, don't we? We sometimes think, well, it's just me and Jesus. It's just me and Jesus. It's just me and Jesus. But Hebrew says, no, it's you and Jesus and His Father, who's your Father, and His brothers and sisters, who are your brothers and sisters. That somehow um, this relationship with God that we are supposed to have individually is filtered through our relationships with each other. This is why we worship together. We worship together because God calls us as a family to know Him and love Him as Father. Because God calls us as a family to know and love Jesus as our brother and as our Lord and as our Savior. And, and, and so, um, we come together and we say, all right, um, you know, how do we remind ourselves of that promise? And, and we say, oh, you know what? Jesus had this really good idea. Jesus said that we could baptize each other. We could baptize new disciples. We could baptize our children and remind them that they're part of this family. And when we baptized Erilyn this morning, um, we, we baptized her into a new family with a new name. Notice that? We always say the same thing. Um, Erilyn Rose, child of the covenant. Not Erilyn Rose Fisher. Erilyn Rose, child of the covenant. We baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Because now she is in this covenant family with us. Uh, this idea of, of God calling us as a family is absolutely fundamental to why we worship together. It's absolutely fundamental to who God wants us to be. And, and I recognize that togetherness is hard. Right? I, I recognize that uh, there are times um, when you probably think, geez, I don't know if I go in person to church this week, I got to get dressed up. And there's that person who's going to want to talk to me about the thing they always ask me to volunteer for. I don't want to do it. They keep asking. There's that one guy who can't carry a tune in a bucket to save his life, and he sits right on the row with me. Don't look at him right now. Um, 
maybe it'd just be easier just to do my own thing, right? Just to do my own thing. Uh, and I'll spend some time with God, or I'll be alone and worship God, but, but boy, it's a lot of work to get together. And it is a lot of work to get together, right? Uh, and, and the people in this room are um, probably feeling the same thing. And, and this is what it means to be a family, right? It's hard to be a family together. I, I read a wonderful book um, this summer called Age of Opportunity um, by Paul David Tripp. I highly recommend it. Its subtitle is A Biblical Guide to Parenting Teens. Uh, and he talks a little bit about the challenge of, of being family together. And he, he tells a story that is not a story from my family's life, but I swear that it could be, okay? Um, he says, I've never seen one of my children eye the last chocolate donut and say to a sibling, you know, I love chocolate donuts, but there is something that would give me more pleasure than eating it myself. I would enjoy it so much to know that you got the last donut and it gave you pleasure. No, I observed my children getting nervous as they watched the donut pile dwindle. I, I listened to them ask, is anybody still hungry? Who had the other chocolate donut? How many of you have had three donuts already? Each question is born out of self-interest, out of the fear that someone else may get what they want. Finally, the last donut arrives on someone's plate and the tumult begins. There is the self-pitying child who cries that nobody loves him and it is not fair. There is the lawyer child who argues the injustice of the situation, given what has happened the last four times we had donuts. And there is the fatalistic child who says he hates having donuts because this always happens. Sinners struggle with God's call to love, so community must be a consistent emphasis in our homes. I love that. Sinners struggle with God's call to love, so community must be a consistent emphasis in our homes. We struggle with it too. So in our home here together, community is a consistent emphasis. We have to work at being family. It's not effortless or easy, but there's something eternally significant about that work. See, what ties you together with the people sitting in the pew next to you is not that you share all the same interests or hobbies or political affiliations or sports team preferences or personal histories. What ties you together is that kind of like your biological family, you just can't get rid of them, right? Because because something bigger than your choices has brought you together. It's God's choice that's brought you together. And so, um, we do this family thing where we come together every week and we worship. And in that work, even though it's hard, even though it takes um, effort for self-centered people to be selfless in community, in that work, we get a little foretaste of what heaven's going to be like. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but in the Scriptures, every time we get a story about heaven, um, we never, ever, 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 ever get a story of one person being with God alone in heaven. Never. The stories are always about community. It's Jesus in the parable of the wedding banquet talking about the celebration of a party where everyone's invited, right? It's, it's Jesus talking about um, the, the last judgment and all the sheep and goats together coming before Him. Uh, it's uh, the story of, of the, the poor man named Lazarus, the parable, who dies, and he goes not to be just with God, but to be with Abraham and all the saints who went before Him. 
It's all these beautiful stories in Revelation um, where we approach the throne of God with myriads of other believers. That there is something uh, in God's design that says um, heaven, perfection, joy is found not just in our relationship with God, but in our relationship with each other. Paul David Tripp says, the goal of a person's life is not to be a healthy individual. The goal is to be a person living in community with other people who are living in community with God. The goal is to be part of a a covenant community. That's who we want to be. That's why we think it's so critical that we worship together. That's why we do life together. That's why even when it's tough, we come back again and again and say, something about this gets us ready for something about that. Uh, 89Q is doing in September and October uh, a sort of back-to-church campaign, and they're encouraging folks who have been staying home because of COVID to think about going back to church in person, and they asked a bunch of pastors to come and give like a minute and 30-second speech about why it's important to be in church in person. A minute and 30 seconds. This is the hardest thing I've ever done in my entire life, okay? Um, so I had to write it down, uh, and I just want to um, end by trying to read that invitation. I think I was a minute and 45 seconds. Scripture says, it is not good for a man to be alone. Yet people in our culture are more alone than they have ever been. Especially in the last few years, we have ordered our food online, ordered our shopping online, worked from home, and worshiped from home. The convenience of isolation has become for many a crisis of faith. Jesus has a solution to this crisis. It's an ancient one, and He calls it the church. The local church community is that place where we are united in worship and discipleship and mission with Christ and with our sisters and brothers in Christ. It is that place where we demonstrate to the world that family bonds forged through water are as powerful as those forged through blood. Church is our opportunity not to be alone, but to experience the union that Christ prayed for in John 17. Holy Father, may they be one as we are one. If you've been on the fence about returning to your local church, remember that in doing so this fall, you are the answer to Jesus' prayer. Don't be alone. Come together and let's be one. Thanks be to God. Amen.